Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We'll read just uh, portions of the first two verses, and then I'm going to skip over to verse 15. And we'll leave out all of the big names of the ancestors of uh, uh, Saul. But the chapter begins, 1 Samuel chapter 9, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Go down to verse 2. And he had a son whose name was Saul. Saul, are you with me? Not Samuel. First, oh, first Samuel. I'm sorry, first Samuel. Yeah, I'll take the pardon. Let me wait just a moment. I thought we were all there. First Samuel chapter nine. I thought someone thought I misspoke there. Let's let's start her again. First Samuel chapter nine. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish. Verse 2, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. Verse 15, section in between deals with uh, Saul's father asking him to go look for the donkeys that were lost. And the Lord has told Samuel the prophet to expect a young man to approach him. Verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out to the land of Benjamin. Thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, and he may save, that he may save my people, out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is coming to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake unto thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today and tomorrow. I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. As for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee, and on all thy father's house? Samuel answered, and, and Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjaminite, of the smallest 
of the tribes of Israel, and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Let's stop at that point and unite for a word of prayer. We thank thee, Lord, for this time that we have to come into your house and worship and fellowship. And we're so thankful for all who have come today and for the warmth that we have expressed to each other and our greetings. We thank you for the prayers and offer, for the music that has been rendered. We glorify your name. We thank you for the privilege that we now have to meditate on your word. Help us, Lord, to look at this man's soul in a manner that would cause us to be strengthened, be more capable of being used by you and your kingdom's work. Forgive us, we pray, our shortcomings, our sins, our waywardness. Forgive us for what we have done against you and for the things that we have not done for you that we should have. Forgive us, Lord, in our ill treatment, even of our family and friends, that we might be in your service this morning and stand before your throne as people dedicated to the service of God in this community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We recognize, I'm sure, very well the name Saul of the Old Testament. There was a Saul in the New Testament who finally was renamed Paul. <coughs> this man represents a lot of the qualities that we admire. A man who came out of obscurity to prominence. And if anybody can do that, we look up to them and admire them. Abraham Lincoln, for example, fits well that particular category. He came from a log cabin to be president of the United States. Just that in itself causes us to admire him. We would have to admire any individual who would start out in poverty and finally end up being a millionaire because we would recognize that he has some qualities about him that makes him capable of achieving those great things. There is a, an advertisement that used to be on television dealing with a particular company who talks about hard work the old-fashioned way you make money. I heard a new one this week by one of the radio announcers, or television, I believe it was, who said they were going to interview West Virginia's newest millionaire who made his money the old-fashioned way. He played the lottery. Uh, there's something wrong with that statement, but he did it in a joking manner, so I hope that he did not mean that we now have progressed to the point of that being the old-fashioned way to, to make money. But Saul was admired 
by everybody who knew him. He was a huge man, a good physical specimen, one that would have been recruited by every college in the country. He was looked upon by all of the unmarried women as being a handsome person. He had a personality that was that had the personality plus spelled out. He was successful in everything he did. He had been successful in driving out the Philistines at one time from the land. He was a great man. But he was not a man without faults. He was human and had his human characteristics that caused him difficulty and finally ended up in being his, his downfall. But he was a man who lived by his conscience and when he was wrong admitted his guilt like David did even though David had been one of the greatest sinners of all time yet God called him a man after his own heart because David and his predecessor Saul were two people who did many things wrong but yet would go to God and confess their faults and God would forgive them it takes a big person to admit his error, to admit his sin. It is a small person that tries to find somebody else to blame. Saul is not somebody who would seek someone else to blame, but would assume the responsibility for his own error. I don't know if you agree, agree politically with me or even uh, theologically with me at this point, but I greatly admired John F. Kennedy after the failure of the Bay of Pigs episode because he was willing to stand up and say, I made a mistake. I started out opposing John F. Kennedy as president. I ended up supporting him completely. And this was one of the issues that really turned me around in my thinking about his being president is that he was a person who would admit publicly to the whole nation that the responsibility was upon his shoulders. Likewise, you may not agree, but nevertheless, I don't want to make this a political campaign at all, but one of the things that causes me to not appreciate uh, President Nixon was his apparent effort to try to find somebody else to blame for the failure of Watergate. And uh, that finally brought him down and uh, caused him to resign. But in my mind, one man was great because of his willingness to shoulder the blame. One man became very little in his effort to try to find somebody else. And so it is life. When we en endeavor to put the responsibility upon somebody else, we eventually will discover that the people in general that we know, our families, our friends, our society, will not accept that kind of thing and will, will bring us down and blame us for the responsibility that we rightfully should have accepted to start with. Saul's life ended in, in absolute failure. One of the greatest tragedies of all the scriptures is contained in the history of this man Saul, who had it all and who blew it in a great way. Another person 
And I shall mention that you also may not agree with me, who is not a political figure, but uh, an athletic individual, as nobody but Pete Rose. I think he was looked upon and respected highly by many, many people, myself included, and we may find that we're prejudging him, but at this point in time, it looks to me like he had a rod in his hand and he'd blown it off. He will go down in disgrace, very likely, as a result of the problems that, that he now faces. And this is the way of self-made men, and that's the subject that we want to deal with. There are three things that I want to say about people who are self-made. Their sins become a problem that they oftentimes will recognize, but recognize to everybody else. Three things. Number one, many self-made people began in their life by thinking too little of themselves and changing around to by thinking too much of themselves. Throughout the, this chapter, verses uh, 1 through 21, that uh, we read portions of it, we find Saul, who was a very young man in a family that was the lowest, according to him, on the total toll of all the families in the tribe of Benjamin. And God had reached down and had seen in him qualities that he wanted to lead the Hebrew people. And set up an episode so that Saul would be out looking for the donkeys on his father that were lost for three days and couldn't find them which would bring him into the presence of Samuel, whom God had already instructed the day before, I'm going to bring a young man into your presence that I want you to anoint as the leader of my people Israel. And Samuel tells Saul that he has been tapped on the shoulder by God himself and selected to be the leader of his people and Saul responds by saying, who am I to do such a thing? I can't. This is one of the things that we discover over and over in the church, at work, and wherever it might be, that many people, when tapped upon the shoulder, want to respond, I can't do that. It's not my expertise, not my job. Moses did the same thing when God selected him to be the people and spoke to him and the burning bush he began to find every excuse in the world for refusing to do what God wanted him to do. And we find throughout the scripture that when God calls somebody to a task, he empowers them, gives them the, the authority and the wherewithal that they might achieve that which he has appointed them to do. Paul made it clear to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 13. He said, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. We need to realize that in the strength of Christ, there are no limits to our capabilities. In the strength of Christ, there are no limits. Without the strength of Christ, without being selected by God, we're going to fall flat on our face at some point in our life. And so he begins out by thinking too little of himself. Over the 15th chapter of the same book of 1 Samuel, 
God had instructed Saul to go against the Amalekites, or Amalekites, if you prefer that pronunciation. He was to destroy everybody, every man, woman, and child of that tribe who were opposed to God. He was to destroy them and all their livestock. There was to be nothing left alive. Well, when it came right down to it, Saul allowed the people to save alive the animals and take them for spoils. And he didn't kill King Agag, but he kept him alive that he might taunt him and, and have him as a prized prisoner. Samuel comes into the presence of Saul and asked if he has complied with what the Lord wanted. And Saul said, yes, indeed, I have done what the Lord asked me to do. And Samuel says, then what is all this bleeding of sheep and the lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul said, oh, I didn't have anything to do with that. The people did it. They becomes a very good word. If you want to find somebody else to lay the blame upon, put it on they. One of the words that comes through the church over and over again that we need to forget is the word they. They don't do anything. We do something or don't do something. Not they. The church is not they if you're a part of the church. The church is we. But Saul comes forth and says, they did it. Somebody else is responsible, not me. There is a desire for approval by many leaders. You thought of that in the political scene all the time when politicians are always wanting the crowds to approve of what they do. I used to sit in a particular organization of which the, the mayor of the town of Parkersburg was the chairman of the group, but by the constitution that we had, he was required to vote. We always laughed. Because after we voted, he would ask for a call to vote, and then he voted with the majority every time. Never would he take an opposing stand with the majority, regardless of what he might have thought about it. And we would laugh at actually with him and have him for taking such a weak position as this when it came to uh, wanting the approval of everybody that he came in contact with. Many preachers are this way. I sat in a pastor's meeting in this association some months back, and I'll, I'll remember this particular episode. I think for a long time we were talking about what we preach and how strong we are in our preaching. And one of the pastors, who is a full-time pastor, as opposed to what I'm supposed to be as a part-time pastor, which is a misnomer, it simply means that we don't make our living from the, the church uh, until the world comes from some other work. But a full-time pastor said to us, who were part-time pastors, you guys can say whatever you want to say because your living does depend upon it. But us guys who are in the pulpit will not have to be careful what we say because we can lose our job. I'm surprised the man was bold enough to admit that. But it does happen. And I, I, I know it happens. I remember an episode years ago in which a school teacher was being interviewed by the Board of Education. 
The subject was evolution. The Board of Education was interrogating him before being hired and said to the man, what do you believe about evolution? How will you teach it? And his response was, I'll teach it however you want me to. I find difficulty with that teaching or, or that preaching. The Hebrew children, when they faced the fiery furnace, said, we do not know whether God will save us from the fiery furnace. But there's one thing we do know, we're going to remain faithful to him. We will not bow our knee to Baal, nor respond to your request. We will go to the fiery furnace. They did that, and God respected and honored them for that attitude. So, one of the problems of a self-made man is that he thinks so little of himself that he must feel like that he must gain the popularity of the crowd in order to remain in that position and will yield and respond to what the, the, the crowd wants. And that was the beginning of Saul's problem. Secondly, it develops then that after a while, a person in that type, with that type of attitude will begin to think only about himself. And he'll begin to leave God out, and he begins to think, but I have accomplished what I have accomplished on my own, and God really hasn't had anything much to do with it. He begins to think that he ought to get the credit. It becomes what I want without regard to what others want or what ought to be the best for the benefit of the whole. Jesus told us about that problem in the parable of the rich man who had barns, and they were full. And he said, what am I going to do with all my grain? And he said, I know what I will do. I will tear down my bonds, and I will build bigger. And I will say to my soul, so take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, for you will have much goods laid up for years to come. Notice the phrases or the words that he used, the pronouns. I, I, mind, all referring to himself. This becomes a problem of people who are on their way down is that they can think of nothing but number one. And Saul faced this issue and began to lose his control. Saul was at uh, Gilead, over in chapter 13. He was ready to go to battle again with the Philistines, but he was supposed to wait until Samuel came and made sacrifice for his army before they went into battle, but Samuel delayed in coming, and Saul thought, well, I can handle this myself. And so he offered the sacrifices and tried to excuse himself, but I can do it just as well as Samuel can. It all comes down to the point of Saul thinking that he was most important and nobody else had any value. And that is the second sin of the self-righteous man. And thirdly, we might speed on, Saul was a man who stayed away from God for a period of time, and this becomes the third sin that I want to mention of the self-made man, and that is he thinks he doesn't have any need for God. Let me tell you, if you think you don't have need on a daily basis for God in your life, you're a self-made person, and you've got problems. This is always true. They think they don't need God. I see this time of invitation, when uh, uh, all these many years, when I extended the invitation, or when somebody else has not been in the congregation, there is an expression in the minds and hearts of certain people, I don't really need what you're proposing. I dealt with a man not very long ago, an elderly man who was on his uh, 
in his bed. He's not uh, that many years, I suppose, to live. Uh, he's ancient. He has never made a confession. I thought he wanted to, but he would not. One thing I asked uh, that in our, then praying together that he would confess that he was a sinner, but he would not. Self-made people do not believe they need that God above. I have a brother-in-law in that very state today who is dying and has perhaps only hours to live, but he will not admit in any way, shape, or form that he has any need of God. And now I think his mind is beyond the capability of reasoning. And uh, he will die and go to hell because he has felt all these years has been sufficient to himself. Whenever we feel that we're sufficient within ourselves to handle the affairs of our life and we do not need the influence of God upon us, we are in the image of Saul as a self-made person. Well, there comes a crisis when men begin to think about God and sometimes it's too late. Saul was just very late. He was gone to battle again against the Philistines. Saul Samuel was now dead. And he didn't have anybody to uh, invoke God for a blessing upon his army, and it scared him. And he went to a witch called the Witch of Endor, that's where she lived, disguised himself so that she would not recognize him, and asked her to make contact with Samuel, which she did. I'm not going to get into all of that stuff as to whether that's possible or not, but apparently she did, and Samuel appeared. So I wanted to know about the, the battle and getting God's blessing and all these things. Listen. We need to make contact with God ourselves. And I can pray and you can pray for our lost loved ones and friends all we want and we certainly must do that. But until that individual will turn his life over to God, he cannot get God's forgiveness of his sin. Samuel was trying to go through somebody else and it wasn't going to work. They go into battle and he is wounded. And he sees that he's not going to win the battle. And he asks his aide to kill him. And his aide refused. So Samuel, or Saul rather, took his sword and fell upon it. Over in 2 Samuel, you will discover that he didn't quite die from this, and a young man came by, and Saul asked that man to finish him off, which he did. This is the, and, and then the servant that was with him also fell upon his sword and committed suicide. A man who had everything went down in defeat because he began to think about himself only and didn't think about anybody else or how he might serve God. We must realize that we cannot ignore God and escape the crisis of life. Self-made men, or we, people who are of personal importance, who do not see themselves as lowly servants of God, as sinners saved by grace, will have difficulty finding that narrow gate that leads to eternal life. The broad gate will be open for them. 
because it is only those who recognize their sin and confess their sin that can go through the narrow gate. Are you a self-made person? Or can you confess your sin before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Save myself. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.